Good morning, Four Corners Church. Good to see you. That song is so appropriate. Um, I'm thankful I didn't, didn't plan this. Um, that song is just so appropriate. It's, I mean, it could be appropriate for the first song we sing, the last song we sing, right before the sermon. It's a reminder that the Holy Spirit enables us to, to preach rightly, to play rightly, to sing rightly, even to listen rightly. And so now I pray that each of you have, t- have taken the time leading up to this moment to prepare yourselves to hear the Word of God, because it's not anything that I can give you specifically from Will Daney that is going to lead to any eternal significance without the help of the Holy Spirit. And the same goes for you as a listener. Nothing will land on you eternally without the Holy Spirit. So I pray that we've prepared ourselves for this moment. Um, my name's Will Daney. Uh, I'm one of your deacons here at Four Corners. This is not your regularly scheduled, scheduled programming. Um, you might recognize me as one of the guys who usually sits out there with you. Um, this is kind of a pinch hit, last second type deal, but nonetheless, um, it is the Word of God that we rest on every Sunday morning, no matter who is here in this pulpit. And so, um, that is our hope this morning, that's my hope this morning. Uh, when I'm not doing this, I do governmental affairs for the Georgia Association of Realtors. If you're not sure what that is, if you're a little confused about what that is, you should talk to my wife. She has no idea either, so... Um, but that's, that's what I do, um, but I also love preaching the Word of God. You know, I, I get to preach, or I get to speak and teach a lot when I, when I work for the realtors, and every time I do it, I think about preaching, because there's, I get super nervous either time, um, though I enjoy it, but there's some special eternal significance that happens every time the Word of God is preached that is so different and so much more important and fun than when I talk about realtor stuff, even though I like that stuff too. I'm, I'm all into the politics stuff. So if you want to talk about that, we can do that later. Um, but that being said, we are so blessed, so blessed at Four Corners Church to have a man like Pastor Lonnie and, and even Pastor Trey, who's come on more recently, um, to, to faithfully unearth the treasures of God's Word every Sunday, Sunday in, Sunday out. Lonnie and Trey both take great measures to, to exercise a lot of pastoral care as well. So it's not just skillfully unearthing the Word of God, but it's, it's exhibiting pastoral care. And that, and that doesn't just happen in a day-to-day interactions with the flock, but that happens from the pulpit. And so it's, it's my aim. I'm going to strive to deliver um, both a skillful exegesis of God's Word this morning, which will be from Philippians 4, Um, but also a heavy, heartfelt dose of pastoral care to you this morning, all by the grace of God through His Holy Spirit. So um, I I have not had uh, much chance to uh, rehearse this. Uh, I was notified a couple days ago that I'd be preaching, so I'm going to be a bit more tethered to my manuscript than I normally would be. I like looking at you people, and hopefully I, I will be looking a lot, but I might be looking at my text a little bit more than usual, and for that I apologize. But um, with that said, so much of pastoral care is having a heart for your flock, knowing your fold, knowing your sheep. So Jesus in John 10 says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So each under-shepherd, each elder, each preacher who preaches the Word of God should strive to be like Jesus in this way, to know the sheep and be known by the sheep. And I'm so thankful for two men that do that for us and all of our elders, really. Um, but I, I, I might not officially be any sort of under-shepherd in, in this way, but I do know and love so many of you. And uh, it's, it's appropriate now that as we, as we move into the text for this morning in Philippians 4, um, that Paul begins this section with these words, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my crown and my joy. These are words of such tenderness and such affection. And I, I, I was just reminded, you know, I've been a part of this body of four corners for 12 years, over 12 years now. Um, I see Tripp and Megan over there, um, the Smiths here, uh, so many of you who have been along for the ride for just about the same amount of time. Um, this is the longest relationship I've ever been in. Um, I've, I've, been a long, I've been a part of Four Corners Church for longer than I've even known my wife. And so that means there's 12 years of getting to know you and serve you and love you and be loved by you. And that, that's changed me. And so I, I, before I even preached, I wanted to thank you for that um, and recognize it. It really ties in well with the text because I, I, I do feel... Um, very much like the Apostle Paul, this, this year has been particularly crazy, and I've just been reminded so much of how you really are my crown and my joy, and my brothers whom I, I love and long for. So I, I guess I kind of already preached one verse there, so that's free. This rest is going to cost you something. I haven't really decided how much yet, but... Um, I will be preaching verses 1 through 7, but we're going to read 1 through 13 because there's some important context to gain here from the surrounding verses. And, well, honestly, the Word of God is far more important than anything that I've got to tell you this morning. So um, with that, go ahead and stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. So again, we are coming from Philippians chapter 4. We're reading verses 1 through 13. I'm preaching through verse 7. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly 
that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to, be, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You may be seated. So if you, uh, if you need a Bible, there are some uh, on that back table, and there's three, so whoever's fastest is going to get there first and grab them. Um, let's pray. Father God, this is such a tall task to bring the Word of God to your people this morning, but again, I remind myself and I remind everyone in this room that it is not Will Daney, it is your Holy Spirit that gives the power to these words, and it is Christ himself who is these words. He is the word of God from the beginning. And so we lift this moment up to you. I ask that you would give clarity to my words and meaning to the hearts of those who are listening. And God, I've prepared this and preached this now for myself as much as anyone else and ask that we would all be changed to be more like Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. So this particular section of scripture has been so sweet for me and the Danny family over the past few months. When I was thinking about months, um, it kind of felt like years, and then I remembered that 2020 had like 19 months in it, so I don't really know if it's years or months, but it's, it's been very comforting over the past while for, for us. And it's been a particularly focusing text for 2020, and and I'm aiming for that to continue and and pull me into 2021, and I pray the same for you. And I've talked to many of you, I know Jarbos, y'all have um, placed a heavy premium on on this text, you've memorized this particular portion that we read. Um, Many of of you have talked about, I mean, we've, we've shared that Philippians 4 has just been so appropriate. And so uh, I chose this text for many reasons, primarily for the help that it can offer as we look back on 2020, but also the fuel that it can provide for us as we move forward into 2021. And it speaks to many of the challenges that we have collectively and corporately faced, but also ones that we've faced individually. So here's how I'd like to walk us through the text. Um, Shout out to Sean and everybody who does slides. Um, you don't have to clap, because I don't know, that's something we don't really do here at Four Corners, but um, I, I just have such an appreciation for, for everybody that, uh, that, that is on this stage, certainly, um, that we've just got such talented people, but the guys, Josh, you two, the guys who are constantly back in that booth making this stuff happen um, are equally enabling us to worship every Sunday, and so I appreciate you guys. This is going to be a tough one for you, man. We already went over it. Hope you can keep up. If you don't, it's my fault, not yours. All right, so here's how we're going to walk through this text. Uh, I titled the sermon, In Pursuit of Peace, um, because that's ultimately what Paul has in mind here as he's walking through this. And so the two things that I've identified, the two major points are are going to be the strife and the solution. Boom, nailed it so far. Good job, man. So I have have taken, like Lonnie, to uh, trying to do some alliterations there. I've actually gone above and beyond I get some bonus points for this because I'm going to have sub points and I'm listing them 
on the slides for you note takers. So you are welcome. You are welcome. Uh, Let's look first at the strife. So after Paul gives this warm pastoral greeting, which we've already gone over, he identifies a specific division that's arisen in the Philippian church. And so I I honestly hadn't intended to preach this particular section. I was going to start in verse 4, and and I just found it too appropriate and timely for us, so I bumped it back into into verse 1. So all across the country, there's been significant division on on a number of issues throughout this year, and it has equally, sadly, crept its way into the church. And so um, these challenges that we've faced this year, this provides an opportunity for us to draw out some, some helpful guidance from this particular passage. And so I, I don't need to, to identify any of these particular examples, um, but I do challenge you to do some introspection as we move through these verses and think about ways that you, as a part of Four Corners Church and, and the universal church as a whole, have seen some of this division, and then you as, as an individual, you personally have seen some of this. We all have participated in it to some degree. So there are two things that Paul does here that I'd like to draw your attention to when he's seeking to satiate this strife that's arisen. So one, he recalls previous ministry efforts, and two, he reminds them to consider eternity. So we've got recalling the past and considering eternity. So I'm not going to spend too much time here, but I really do think this is very important, and I was so encouraged by this. Um, It was so helpful for me to really recenter myself, you know, in, in dealing with Philippians 4 over the past few months, this has not been a part of it. It's been the setting my mind on the things that are above. It's not being anxious and with all prayer and supplication making my requests known to God. It's, it's these things. This, this part of the text early on really hasn't been a huge focus of mine uh, until now, and so I, I hope you find some benefit from this as well. One thing that Paul does here that we should do when we find division in the body is to recall past ministry efforts. So so what he does here, uh, he reminds them, these women have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So I don't know exactly what the issue is between these two ladies, and I would imagine that that the Philippian church, it sounds like they probably, their relationships had soured towards at least one, perhaps both of these ladies, Um, But nonetheless, Paul identifies past ministry efforts in in an attempt to help them through this strife. And so then he takes it a step further to remind the Philippians that these ladies are regenerate believers and that they'll share eternity with them. So he says, their names are in the book of life, and this is a reference to those who belong to God. So if Paul places a premium on these two things, I feel that it's fitting for us to follow suit. So here's an implication that I feel that we can draw from this particular point. If you're feeling discouraged by any relationships you have with other believers, whether it's here at Four Corners or or elsewhere, labor diligently to do these two things. Recall previous ministry efforts. Whether, whether it's you, efforts that you have shared with them or just noticing and recalling ministry efforts that you've seen them participate in faithfully. And then remind yourself and rejoice in the fact, as we'll see momentarily, rejoice that you will worship God Almighty for eternity with these people. So Paul is pushing forward towards a, a final disposition or a destination or a solution for this strife, both internal and external strife for the Christian, and that's peace. So peace in our souls, peace in our relationships. 
there are two other things that he offers up as ingredients in our pursuit of peace. But peace is the ultimate promise and destination. So this is what Paul has in mind when he moves forward with, with verse 4. Therefore, after identifying a problem and offering encouragement, he provides further guidance, which brings us to the next point, which is the solution. So we've got the solution here. I've got three subpoints under that for all you note-taking nerds out there. Um, and I've even got subpoints under two of those three subpoints. So I am going way off the rails this week. Uh, remember, Paul's not only speaking to division in the church, but also to an uneasy heart. I've gone ahead and offered you his solutions. So we've got joy and prayer and peace. So let's see how he gets there, how he arrives. So I referenced rejoice moments ago, and here Paul gives the command twice. So when something's listed twice in the Bible, we got to perk up our ears and listen because there's obvious importance embedded in that. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I think the most helpful way to understand what Paul means here when he seems to stutter in entreating the Philippians to rejoice is to cheat a little bit and jump down to some of the texts that I read earlier. So look at verses 11 through 12. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So I say this from, from personal experience, after a lot of examination over the waning months of 2020, I suspect that one of the chief reasons that so much uneasiness and angst has crept into the church as a whole, but that into the individual hearts of Christians, is that we've not taken the biblical command seriously to be content in all things. All of the challenges of 2020, I realized, have unearthed a massive idol in my heart, in our hearts, that we so desperately desire comfort, ease, predictability, and status quo. So Paul, Paul's double command to rejoice must be taken in the context of his own rejoicing. So I, again, I'm not going to be preaching down in, into these, these uh, subsequent verses, but we have to have this in mind. When he encourages the Philippians to rejoice, he then will offer up his own model for rejoicing. And so uh, with that, we see contentment. So that's, that's the first thing that I have. When he's trying to entreat them to rejoice, rejoice, he gives a model of contentment. And so uh, I believe that in, in, a clear, in pursuit of clear conscience, unburdened hearts, and right relationships, we got to follow the example of Paul. We will not be able to rightly pursue joy. We will not be able to rightly rejoice until we take seriously the command to find contentment in all things. So we're talking about joy here, and I just talked about how contentment is key to rightly appropriating joy. Interestingly, Paul's next two phrases seem a little bit misplaced. Um, in fact, you read a lot of Paul, and many of his thoughts seem, uh, at first glance, kind of random and misplaced. We're going to take a look at the first one here. So, let your reasonableness be known to God is what he follows this with. So, let your reasonableness be made known to God. Seems a little bit random. 
If you've got an ESV study Bible, you'll see that the commentary <clears throat> on this word, reasonableness, is given as the disposition that seeks what is best for everyone and not just for, your, for oneself. And some of your Bibles, uh, if you've got something other than an ESV, they might say gentleness instead of reasonableness. So no matter the, the word, Paul wants us to know that a gentle, kind, and thoughtful disposition towards others is a non-negotiable for the Christian, and it's inextricably linked to our ability to rejoice properly and to promote the health of our relationships in our community. So we've seen how calls to contentment and gentleness promote our ability to rejoice, which is ingredient number one in preserving unity and putting away anxiety and finding peace. Now let's continue Paul's logic and and see where it goes next. So he says, again, this is the second second, uh, phrase that seems a little bit random or, or misplaced. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that that second phrase there that seems a bit random is, the Lord is at hand. And though our Bibles uh, put the Lord is at hand as a part of verse 5, you see that there's a period, and then the Lord is at hand really really belongs within the context of verse 6. So it seems to be connected to his encouragement to pray. And so there's, there's something to be gained there. Simply put, Paul wants us to pray with the idea in mind that the Lord's return is imminent. And he will come as a judge. That's not all. Not only is it the basis for our prayerful mentality, but it's also the reason that we can live without any anxiety, which is why he connects it to this thought of do not be anxious. That's why it's so important that we put the Lord is at hand in its right place here because Jesus will return and judge the earth and we can pursue anxiety-free lives because of it. As we consider Paul's call to pray, that was our first consideration. So let's look at the next two. So we've got supplication and thankfulness. So we see in the next verse, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I don't think it's necessarily incorrect to see prayer and supplication as two separate things, but I do want to draw your attention to something that God really impressed upon my heart as I worked on on this, on, on putting this together. Prayer is the act, supplication is the disposition. Prayer is the act. Supplication is the disposition. It's the attitude with which we take into our prayers. Supplication is this. It's earnestly and humbly begging for something. So again, prayer is the act. Supplication is then coming in with a disposition that is humble and earnest in begging for something. And so that's what Paul is trying to communicate here, this idea of earnestness and humility in begging God, begging God for what it is that we have, or what it is that we need. So when we see ourselves as living before the face of an omnipotent judge and a perfect, loving, heavenly Father, our prayers can't help but look and sound like this. And, and here's the thing, the earnestness with which we pray will be emptied of angstiness and hopeless asking 
when we pray like this because we will find contentment in all things as he's already identified. And so there's, there's supplication. Now we'll look at thanksgiving. So as we, as we pray, we make supplication, but we also make sure that we are thanksgiving. In letting our requests be made known to God, not only will we lift up our voices with humility and sincerity, but we also pray with thanksgiving. And, and this has been a huge theme. Lonnie does a great job of, of bringing up thanksgiving at just about any, any juncture we, we get to. We, we can do this because we've found that God himself is enough for us. The reason that we pray with thanksgiving is because God is enough for us, and we can be content in all things, and therefore our prayers and hearts resound with thankfulness. So finally, as we finish up this morning, we come to the beautiful bow that Paul places on top of this massive cascade of commands, the promise of peace. So this is where he's been moving this whole time. He's identified this strife. He's given a solution. He's told us that there's rejoicing that needs to happen in order for this to happen. There, There is prayerfulness that needs to be pursued. And as a result of all this, to protect us against strife, not only in the church, but in our own hearts, protect us against anxiety, we are given peace. So he's asked the church to reconcile. He's asked them to remember, rejoice, pray. And in the spiritual sum of all these things, he said, is an overwhelming sense of peace that offers supernatural protection for our hearts and minds, guaranteed by Christ himself. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's a couple of observations. Hang with me, we're almost done. There should be a distinct difference in how we react compared to the unbelieving world. There should be a distinct difference in how a Christian appears to the unbelieving world. Our words, our actions, our reactions, our disposition, and our overall sense of peace should be radically different from what the world certainly looks like, but even so far as to say, Paul says here, it should be beyond an unbeliever's ability to understand our sense of peace. They shouldn't even be able to recognize it. It's going to be so foreign and strange and weird. And we should be okay with that. We're foreigners in this land. We are sojourners. And, and I'm, I'm genuinely convinced that this world is not our home and we will not be effectively ministering and effectively living out our calling until we come to grips with this reality. The sooner our souls find that reality to be sweet, the sooner we will experience this type of peace. So lastly, Paul gives us this great ammunition for the daily struggle against haughtiness, prayerlessness, angstiness. I don't even know if that's a word, but I've used it a couple times today. Uh, thanklessness, all of these things. He's given us ammunition in the fight against all these things. We've been sealed by the Spirit because of Christ's work, and our hearts and our minds can find daily rest in Him. And this is such a struggle. If 2020 has shown us anything, it's that there is such a struggle week to week, day to day, moment to moment in these battles. But it's one that we've been told we can win because it's already been won for us. So as we move through 2021, let's allow God to use this text to solidify our faith, to heal our relationships, to help us find joy, to push us to prayer, and bring an overwhelming sense of peace 
that makes us and God's glory shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. Let's pray. Father God, we ask now that you would allow this text to sink into our hearts. That we would appropriately massage this into every area of our lives. That we would indeed pursue peace by finding contentment, by being able to rejoice, by exhibiting gentleness towards others. And through supplication and thanksgiving, that we would make all of our requests be made known to you. Not that you need to know them, not that you don't already know them, but in that act itself, it's changing us. It's bringing us this sense of peace that you've promised us, that we should be marked by, that separates us distinctly from the rest of this world, that gives us such great hope in the midst of such great uncertainty. And so, As we move now to communion, to the Lord's Supper, I ask God that you would be in our minds as we take this in. God, allow us to be introspective. Allow us to bend to your will. Be humble and submit to all that you have for us. God, let us us seek to outdo one another here at Four Corners Church in showing one another honor. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.